Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Well, grab your copy of God's Word and get with me to Haggai. That's how I said it, Brandon. I don't know which part of Kentucky I should have said it from. (laughs) I thought about going full West Virginia and say Haggy or something like that, or from Tennessee where I pastored for six years, but Haggai is what I'm going to go with today. Now, the easiest way to find the book of Haggai is to go to the Gospel of Matthew and just turn back in the Old Testament, probably six or ten pages, six to ten pages, and there you're going to find Haggai between the prophet Zephaniah and Zechariah. Now, if you're looking for some adventure in your life, or maybe you're looking for some (laughs) extreme social distancing, if you're not sick of that yet, then perhaps climbing Mount Whitney in California might be high on your bucket list. I bet some of you have been there in the audience today. There in that Sierra Nevada range, Mount Whitney is the highest peak in the lower 48 states. It is a massive 14,505 feet above sea level, which is almost three miles high. And of course, you don't climb it straight up. The the most popular route to the top of Mount Whitney is this 11-mile course, sort of trekking around and wrapping around and, and weaving back and forth up and down the mountain there. Although it's been climbed thousands of times for over the last century and a half, the first ever recorded attempt to the top was a failure in 1864. That year, Clarence King, he was a geologist, a mountaineer. He almost made it to the top, but somewhere along the way, he had to turn back. The mountain won that day. Have you ever been there before where the mountain won that day? It was too high to climb that day. And I can totally empathize with Clarence King. I mean, can't you? Haven't you come to a mountain in your life and you said, there's no way that I can get to the top of that thing? Or maybe you come to the mountain and you think, yeah, man, I'm going to climb that. You better believe it. I'm going to do this. But then at some point as you try to climb, you get tired. You get scared. You get discouraged. You get tempted to just turn back. Maybe that mountain in your life is a broken relationship. Or stopping old habits and replacing them with new habits. Or getting to your ideal body weight. Maybe it's a disease or disability or getting out of debt or graduating. Or maybe it's something particular that God has called you to do that you're just not sure if you have the ability and the resources to do what God has called you to do. Whatever that mountain may be, God has a word for you and for me here in Haggai chapter 2. You see, the people of Israel, they had a mountain that they had to climb which was the rebuilding of the temple. If you remember from two weeks ago, we talked about that there in Jerusalem. It had lain in ruin for several decades after Babylon had destroyed it and had carried the bulk of Israel into captivity. And now the people had been released. They were back in Israel and they had ignored the temple for another two decades. They just couldn't get motivated to tackle it. They looked at it and it was just too much for them to do. But then God spoke to them by his grace, in his grace there in Haggai 1, to start the work. And praise God, 23 days later, 
They got to work climbing the mountain of rebuilding that temple. But not long after they began the work, just one month into it to be exact, like 30 days into building the temple, we come here to Haggai chapter 2, and they get tired, they get discouraged, they get scared, and they get tempted to just quit because the job seemed too big. It seemed like a mountain just too high to climb. And God in his grace comes to them again, begins to speak to them again, and in, in essence meets them on the way up the mountain. Look at with me Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Haggai 2, 1 through 4 says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who's left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now. Be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. You know, honestly, it's likely that nobody who was working on the temple here in Haggai's day saw it. Very few of them did. If any of them saw the splendor of the temple before it was destroyed. I mean, it had been destroyed 70 years before this. It had been 70 years since Solomon's temple had been destroyed. And the only image that these people had in their minds who were working on the temple was a temple in ruins. It was hard for them to envision anything but a pile of rubble. And so they had no vision for what it once was. They had no vision for what it could be. They couldn't see the top of the mountain, much less seeing over the mountain to the other side. And God, in his grace, three times here, says through the prophet Haggai, be strong. Once to Zerubbabel the governor, be strong. Once to Joshua the high priest, be strong. And once again, to all the people of Israel, be strong. These are the words that they needed to hear. And these are the words that we need to hear this morning. Somebody in particular needs to hear these words today because you're discouraged, you're scared, you're frustrated, you're ready to turn back from the mountain that you're facing. And God is saying to you, be strong. So here's today's takeaway. Today's takeaway is, is, is literally basically just God's word from himself to the people here in Haggai's day here in Israel. Be strong and persevere in the face of adversity. That's what I want, that's what I believe God wants us to take from this passage today. Be strong and persevere in the face of adversity. So whatever mountain stands before you, whatever mountain you're in the middle of climbing, (laughs) whatever mountain you're tempted right now to turn from, be strong and persevere in the face of adversity. But why? Why? Well, Because God promises three things to us in this passage. To the people of Israel first, of course, here in this text. And then as a directly relevant line, relatable to us, to you and me today, right? These three promises given to Israel are promises that God gives to us as the people of God elsewhere in the Bible. 
And so they're, they're general promises to the people of God in every age, even in May 2020, right here in the Bowling Green region. So first, be strong and persevere in the face of adversity because God promises, I am with you. Yeah, what you're facing may be overwhelming, <laughs> but you're not alone. God's with you. God is with you. Look at verse 4, Haggai 2.4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And here it is, work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now listen, I, I know that in this pandemic season, man, we, we hear platitude after platitude after platitude, right? We're here for you. We're all going to get in this together. We're all going to get through this together. We're all in this together. I was cracking the other, the other day because my nine-year-old daughter, man, she's sick of hearing those platitudes. I mean, every commercial that comes on TV, they've got to say something platitudinal, right? They've got to say something here that's just this general, we're going to do it. We're with you. We're together. And so she's watching this commercial and talking about how they're going to get through it together. And she was like, if I hear that one more time, I'm going to scream. But beloved, you have to understand that when God says work, for I am with you. He's not just offering some platitude, some empty words, these cliched words. He's not doing that here. He's offering the best thing he can offer, and that is himself. That is his presence. God wants you to know that he is there with you and that he's always been with you. He's always been with you. King David wrote of God's good and trustworthy presence in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Now, for someone that doesn't know God, th this, this, this passage is actually scary. Because you can't get away from God is kind of, in one sense, what it's saying. But for those of us who are connected to God, who are in covenant with God, these words are music to our ears. They are calm and peace to our soul. King David wrote, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand, that's the hand of power, your hand shall hold me. And so Israel was not alone as they were in the midst of rebuilding the temple. And beloved, neither are you, right? God is with you. Almighty God is with you. All-knowing God is with you. All-loving, all-wise, all-holy God is with you. And that mountain may be big, but God's bigger. Praise God. God is bigger. Now, the world will tell you, don't look to God. Don't look to God. The world will tell you to look to yourself. And a good example of this comes from internationally acclaimed organizational consultant and author, Idawu Kinyunikin. He says this about the mountains in your life. He says this. He says, mountains are only a problem when they're bigger than you are. And that's true. That's absolutely true, right? I mean, if I have to, if I have to cross an anthill, no big deal. If I have to cross the Rocky Mountains or the Sierra Nevadas... 
That's a big deal. So he says mountains are only a problem when they're bigger than you. But then he goes on to say this. Here's the advice that he gives you when you face those big mountains. He said, you should develop yourself so much that you become bigger than the mountains you face. Now, church, that's the wisdom of the world. That's the best the world has to offer. When you face that big mountain, get bigger, they say. And some of you have tried that. Some of you have tried that and you've realized it's impossible. It's impossible. But the wisdom of Scripture, the wisdom of God says when you face that big mountain, you must turn to our bigger God. That's where hope is found, y'all. That's where the source from where you will overcome is found. It's not found in you. It's not found in me. It's found in God who is with you. God tells us in Hebrews 13, 5. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, and these words go across the board in whatever application you want to put them in. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he's just not passively there. Look at how God describes how he is with us here in Haggai. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, be strong, work for I'm with you, declares the Lord of hosts. That's the title that God calls himself here, the Lord of hosts, which means he's the leader of the angelic armies, right? They are ready to fight for you, right? God is no punk. And so he continues in Haggai 2, 5. Look at, look at verse 5. He says, According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So his presence here is not this passive presence that's aloof and standoffish. It's there, but not really there. He is in our midst. It is a covenantal presence. Now the Lord's probably referring here to his promise to Israel there in Exodus 29 verse 45 and 46 as they came out of Egypt. As they came out of Egypt, God promised them, he says in the book of Exodus, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And so he had fixed his love on Israel and would never forsake them. And the same is true for you and me, y'all. Through Jesus Christ, God has fixed his love on us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. God has promised to dwell in the midst of his people. And he's going to do that. And he's been doing that up to this day. So no matter what mountain you're facing... Whatever adversity you're going through, God is with you. So be strong. Persevere. But as I said a moment ago, God is not passively with you. God is actively contributing. So we see the second point here, that we're to be strong and and, and to persevere in the face of adversity. Because God promises, I will provide everything you need. I will provide everything you need. So here are the people of Israel in the book of Haggai. They've just come back from being in captivity, being in exile, so to speak. They're in the the nation of Babylon. And they've been back now for about two decades. But if you've been gone that long and have to build everything from scratch, two decades is really not that long. 
And here God is asking them to rebuild Solomon's temple. Not just any temple, Solomon's temple. This is King Solomon who followed King David. And King Solomon, he had built that original temple with an abundance of resources. When you think about King Solomon, man, that dude, have you ever considered how wealthy, how many resources King Solomon actually had? You can read all about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 9. I just want to give you the highlights here. And there's a lot more in depth that I would just encourage you to read. But 2 Chronicles 9, 13 and 14 tells us of Solomon's wealth. He says, Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 uh, talents of gold. Besides that, which the explorers and merchants brought. And all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land brought gold and silver to Solomon. Skip down to verse 20. The chronicler continues, Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. You ever heard of anybody who was so rich that they had money to burn? Right? Because the money, they got so much money, if they threw some in the fire, it wouldn't hurt anything. Well, that's how it was in the days of Solomon here with silver. Silver was considered as, uh, wasn't considered as anything. Verse 21. For the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Hiram. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish used to bring back gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Verse 22. Thus King Solomon excelled in all the uh, excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And then verse 27, skip down to verse 27. Second Chronicles 9, 27. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. By modern estimates, if we were to take Solomon's estimated worth. And, and put it to modern day dollars, scholars believe that his net worth was something like $2 trillion. That's trillion with a TR, right? Trillion dollars, which makes him the top five richest person to ever live. And much, 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 much richer than Jeff Bezos or any other dude that's living today or woman that's living today. Right? Those are the kind of resources that Solomon had at his disposal in building the temple and decorating it with all of its splendor. And then here are these lowly Israelites. <laughs> I mean, they just returned from devastation and exile. They have no means. They have no economy. They barely have a home to live in themselves. Now, they do have the financial backing of King Cyrus there in the Medo-Persian Empire. But Cyrus was no Solomon. I'm not sure which one you can better relate to, right? Can you better relate to King Solomon who had everything he needed and much more? Or do you relate more to the Israelites in Haggai's day? I mean, I, I can certainly relate more to the Israelites there in Haggai's day. But look at what God promises. Look at Haggai 2, verse 6 through 8. Haggai 2, verse 6 through 8. It says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Church, you know what that means? That means that God's going to provide everything that they needed. 
Yeah, treasures and riches and silver and gold and all those things, they were in the hands of other nations. But God says, the silver's mine. The gold is mine. I'm going to shake the nations and pour the money and the treasures into Israel to provide what they need for the house of God, for the glory of God. God was going to provide. And these same promises, they come forward to you and me. All of those of us who were God's through Jesus Christ. God through Paul, he promised to provide for us in Philippians 4.19. Listen to what he says. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You don't have to be a health and wealth preacher. To understand that God provides for his people. God does. That's why Jesus tells us in, in Matthew 6, 31 and through 33 there. He, he, he reminds us that God's going to provide for us. That we're precious to God. Jesus says, therefore do not be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Just this past week, we saw another million or more people, several million people added to the unemployment line. Maybe as you're listening today, you, your, your job is on furlough or maybe you've been laid off or maybe your, your factory, your business is even closed. And you don't even know how you're going to get by even on the unemployment checks and the stimulus checks that are coming in. But Jesus says, don't be anxious because God is going to provide for you. He, God knows what you need. As you face the mountain that stands before you, know that God has every resource that you need to be strong and to persevere. All right? You know, one of the best illustrations of this comes from the life and ministry of George Mueller. And I know you've probably heard this story before, but I, I, it, it's just perfect, really, I think, for this text here today. Mueller there in England in the 1800s, he was an evangelist, and he oversaw mercy ministries like orphanages. He had firm faith that God would provide for his ministry. And God was faithful to do so, even in miraculous ways. And in his journal, in Mueller's journal, he would tell how God had provided miracle after miracle and answered prayer. So one morning, the story goes, the children were about to begin school and they went to breakfast and all the plates and all the cups and all the bowls there at the orphanage, there on that table were empty. There was no food, there was uh, no money to go buy food. And the children were standing and waiting for their morning meal when Mueller said, children, you know, we must be in time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. Now that was a prayer of faith because there was nothing in their own storage right then. There was nothing on the table. But then right soon after, there was a knock at the door. And who's at the door? The baker. He said, Mr. Mueller, I, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast and the Lord wanted me to send you some. 
So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and have brought it. Mr. Mueller, he, he thanked the baker, and no sooner had he left when there was a second knock at the door. And guess who it was? It was the milkman this time. And the milkman, he announced that his milk cart had, had broken down right in front of the orphanage. And he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so that he could empty his wagon and repair it. Beloved, that's the kind of God who is supplying your every need. He did it in Haggai's day. He did it in George Mueller's day. And he does it in our day. That's the kind of God who says the silver is mine, the gold is mine, and I'm going to shake the nation so that you will have everything that you need. Some of us even here today watching could stand up and testify about how God has done this very thing in your life. And so you have that past grace reminding you and helping you to be strong and to persevere with God's present grace and to know that when you need it, God's future grace is going to come in and supply. So whatever you need, whatever you need to continue up that mountain, And to conquer that mountain, God says what you need. He sees it. God has it. And he's promised to supply it. Beloved, you can count on this, okay? And this is a a truth that you can bank on. If he doesn't give it to you, you didn't need it. If he doesn't give it to you, You don't need it, really. He has something better for you if he doesn't give it to you because he will supply your every need. So be strong. Persevere. Finally this morning, to help us do that, to help us be strong and persevere in the face of adversity, God promises this final thing here in the book of Haggai. He says this, I am creating an even better tomorrow for you. I'm creating an even better tomorrow for you. Look at verse 9 here. Here's how he says it in the book of Haggai. He says, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. You know, even as they were looking back at the past glory of Solomon's temple, they had heard stories of how great it was. And maybe a few of them had actually seen the glory of Solomon's temple. God tells them here, I have an even better future for you. He says, this house will be even greater than the previous one. And eventually, some five centuries later, under the leadership of King Herod the Great, just before Jesus was born, the temple finally rivaled Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was the first temple, and the second temple begun here in Haggai by Zerubbabel was the second temple and eventually became known as Herod's temple because King Herod the Great put so much into restoring it and building it out. And there's probably some debate as to whether or not Herod's temple surpassed Solomon's temple. But here's what you need to understand this morning. 
when, when, I, when I look at the Bible, I cannot help but make the connection that it was this second temple, Herod's temple, that Jesus drove the money changers out of and the sacrifice sellers out of. And this, of course, really upset the Jews. And so they challenged him in John chapter 2, verse 18. John chapter 2, verse 18. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And I want you to look as you think about God's promise in Haggai of this second temple being greater, this future that God has in store for them being greater than Solomon's temple. I want you to hear what John's commentary was as Jesus answers in John 2, 19 through 22. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And the Jews said, It's taken us 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But look what John says in his commentary. But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So, beloved, did you catch what Jesus was doing here? He was equating his own body to the temple. He was saying that his own body is the new and the true temple. In fact, the writer of Hebrews helps us to understand that, helps us to make that connection, gives further credence to this understanding that Jesus' body was the true temple when the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. He says that the curtain of the temple is Jesus' flesh. So, beloved, I say all that to say that I'm convinced that the fullest fulfillment of God's promise to Haggai is none other than Jesus Christ. He is the greater temple. His glory is certainly greater than Solomon's temple ever was. And through Jesus Christ, that's the only way that true peace is brought in to the world. And here's the crazy thing. I don't think Zerubbabel or Joshua or even Haggai themselves realized the fullness of what God was promising for them. God was creating an even better tomorrow for them. One that they couldn't see. But he was calling them out in faith. That he would do as he had promised them he would do. And beloved, you need to understand that that better tomorrow is here in Jesus Christ. And even better tomorrow is secured for you in the age to come. And so yeah, you're facing that mountain, but glory is on the ridge. Just over the ridge for every person who will repent of their sin and put their hope in Jesus Christ. And so be strong, persevere. Jesus has created an even better tomorrow for you, a future that's described in Revelation 21, 3 and 4. Think about the future, this even better tomorrow that God promises us. 
John the Revelator says, And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they'll be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. Beloved, (laughs) that is your even better future secured in Jesus Christ. But if you're listening this morning and you've never turned and trusted in Jesus, you need to understand that that future is not yours. The even better tomorrow is not yours. In fact, without Christ, you have an even worse tomorrow because your future is death in hell without Christ. But listen to me. The good news is that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, that you could be forgiven and that this future that that Haggai's promising could be yours as well if you'll only turn and trust in Jesus Christ. If this very moment, in this very hour, if you'll do that, if you'll turn and trust in Jesus, this future will be yours as well. I began the sermon today, or I began the sermon today, telling you about Clarence King who tried to climb Mount Whitney in 1864. But he failed. And so in 1871, he tried again. This time he set out on a different route than the one he took a few years before. And this time he climbed all the way to the top. But when he got to the top, he looked out over the horizon. And there was an even taller point than the one he had just climbed. Come to find out, he climbed the wrong mountain. (laughs) He climbed Mount Langley instead of Mount Whitney. And so he didn't do it in 1871 either. (laughs) And so finally in 1873, he tries one more time, and this time Clarence King, he finally climbs the right mountain this time. He finally climbs and summits Mount Whitney. Now unfortunately by this time, he wasn't the first ever in history recorded to do it. Three fishermen just a month earlier had climbed the top of Mount Whitney. But King finally climbed that mountain. He was strong. He persevered. And the mountain, it turned out, was not too high to climb. And I say to you this morning, Eastwood, neither is the mountain that you're trying to climb. Be strong and persevere by the grace of God. Here's my final prayer this morning. May we stake our hope in our almighty God who is above all Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is, 
the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and He stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that He is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.